Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Physiology Secrets podcast. Did want to touch on uh, something today because it's been quite topical across social media, a lot of people talking about it, and, and that's the, the recovery boots. You would have seen a lot of athletes using them. We've got a couple of sets here, uh, thanks to the guys at Rapid Muscle Recovery, uh, kind enough to, to help us out with a couple of pairs of boots for guys coming and doing testing after the session, chuck them on. Um, after a training session that we've been doing in here, I know I've been using them a fair bit over the last little while since we've had them. Um, and I want to talk about what they actually do and, and the importance of what we call the skeletal muscle pump. So it's a critical process in terms of recovery. And if you followed some of the other the other episodes or you've listened to some of the stuff I've done on recovery previously, it's really critical we engage this recovery process and make the most of it because training at the end of the day is going to fatigue us and recovery is what helps us to adapt and improve. So if we can nail everything we possibly can in recovery and if something like using the boots is going to assist, um, that's always a bonus. We're always looking for, for how else we can improve that recovery process. But... It's not the be all and end all if you, if you don't have access to the recovery boots. So I'm going to get to how we can perform the same thing in a moment. But what I want to mostly focus on is this skeletal muscle pump aspect. So what it essentially is, is at the end of a hard session or at the end of any session, really, most people should be going into a cool down. You should be going into a cool down uh, or, a, or a bit of an active recovery, if you want to call it, at the end of your session. Now, why this is important is because throughout the session, as we all know, you're going to be accumulating some sort of metabolic fatigue, so you might feel a little bit of heaviness in the legs or that burn in the legs, depending on how hard that session uh, is, is going to depend on how much fatigue is going to accumulate. Obviously, in something like cycling, now I'm going to jump on the bike a little bit later on, but something like cycling, you have very localized fatigue as well, so it's critical that we're targeting specific areas uh, in this recovery as well. A lot to do with the quads and the hamstrings, glutes, etc. Um, running, rowing, swimming, etc. it's going to change depending on that, but we're going to have accumulations of fatigue in different areas of the body, so we need to be specific to that. But essentially what we're doing in this cool-down or active recovery period is we're, we're starting that recovery process. We're starting to clear out that initial um, initial block of metabolic byproducts. We're starting the excess uh, oxygen supply to the muscles uh, to help the recovery and repair process. We're starting to send more nutrients um, and proteins, etc., to the to the damaged areas to start repair and, and growth um, from a muscular perspective, but also from just a damage resistant perspective. Training obviously is gonna help, is gonna break things down a bit. We might get these tiny little sort of micro tears in the muscle, which is okay. If we push ourselves quite hard, we wanna be able to repair those. So we need the nutrients coming through the bloodstream. So we are gonna get potentially a little bit of inflammation. It's quite common, uh, but that's actually not a bad response. We often think of inflammation as being quite negative terms of uh, swelling, etc., in terms of injury, can be temporarily bad, but in the long term, it's just your body's response trying to get blood flow to the area where it needs to repair and grow. So um, what, what we're trying to do in this in this active recovery period, ideally an active recovery or, or a cool down, is perform the exact same mode of activity, so swim, bike, run, row, whatever your sport is, the exact same type of activity that you have been doing, just at a reduced intensity. Because what we start to engage is this excess post-exercise oxygen consumption, or EPOC, which is, we drop down the intensity, we don't need a lot of oxygen to power it, but we've still got all this excess coming in from the high intensity bout we just went through or the higher intensity that we had been working at for a given period of time. So ventilation's up, our respiratory rate's still gonna be elevated for a bit. Um, it's why in your cool down and your recovery, it might take you five, 10 minutes to see that heart rate start to drop significantly, slowly coming back down. You're not pedaling or you're not running at uh, an intensity that requ might require you to be at 150 beats per minute, you might normally be at 120 beats per minute that intensity, but all this excess is just helping you to recover from the bout of activity before, slowly bringing back down the rest. Um, and if we can extend that response a little bit, we get more time to be able to start clearing out, particularly things like lactic acid and, and those metabolic byproducts that have accumulated. Helps us break down uh, a lot of that initially. If we start that breakdown process and that 
um, that oxidation process a little bit quicker. We're, it's going to serve us better in the long run. So in the next couple of hours, we're just going to start recovering quicker and obviously it accelerates the process from there. So active recovery is critical post-session. Always good to cool down. Low intensity, but the same exercise mode. It's going to send the blood and the oxygen to the right places and help us start to recover far more effectively. Now, how does that actually work? Why, why don't we get that same response by just going and sitting down and not doing anything? Before we th start thinking about the boots and things like that, why don't we get the same response by just coming and sitting down post-session? And the key is this skeletal muscle pump. What it is, is essentially, when we continue to, let's use the bike as an example, when we continue to pedal on the bike, we're turning the legs over. Now, to be able to turn the legs over on the bike, first things first, the muscles need to contract to be able to produce that movement. So, we have to continue to contract the muscles. What, are that, what does that do when we contract the muscles? Essentially, we have, a, we have blood vessels in the middle, we have muscles either side. If they're contracting, they're pushing on the blood vessels and squeezing it. It's like a tube of toothpaste. If you've got tube of toothpaste, tiny bit of toothpaste in the bottom, you need to get to the top. What do you have to do? You have to compress and push on it, and it pushes a little bit closer to the top. You keep doing that and squeeze, squeeze, squeeze. You're pumping it all the way up to the top. Eventually, it comes out the top. That's essentially what we're doing with this skeletal muscle pump. Muscles contracting, pushing on the blood vessels. Blood can only come back up to the heart. It can't go back the other way. It only goes in the same direction. It's a one-way cycle from out of the heart, out to where it needs to go into the body, to the muscles, and then it comes back, anything that's not used, all the byproducts, etc., are gonna cycle back up to the heart, send it out to the lungs, that's where we're getting oxygen, etc. So it can only move in one direction. So when we do compress and build that pressure by contracting the muscles, it's gonna allow that blood flow to start streaming back up to the heart a little bit more effectively. If we continue to compress, when we push on the pedal stroke, contract, but then when we push on the other side, that leads to now gonna relax, because uh, we're not contracting, then compress, relax. It's this pumping effect, like so, that's gonna continue to move that blood back up to the heart a little bit more effectively. Apart from anything else, like I said with that EPOP response before, if we're continuing to pedal on the bike, we're not gonna drop all the way back down to resting values, in terms of heart rate, ventilation, oxygen consumption, etc because we're still working on the bike. We need some sort of oxygen, elevated oxygen consumption above rest to be able to just produce that very slow turnover of the legs as well. So um, as a result, we keep a little bit of that excess oxygen supply moving around the body, all those nutrients moving around the body as well. Um, and again, it's helping to accelerate that recovery process um, in those initial stages. So doing 10, 15 minutes of this is perfectly fine. Um, again, keeping it low intensity. We don't want to do massive amounts and this is the type of thing that you can do, or, or you can do as like a recovery session. A lot of a lot of athletes like to do sort of a recovery run or a recovery cycle as a dedicated session. Where they sort of go wrong is they're only, they're, they're doing way more than 10, 15 minutes. They're doing sort of half an hour, 45. I've seen guys write in their training programs before recovery run, one hour recovery run, and I just look at it and go, that's not really a recovery run. It's just way too long. We don't need a lot at all. It's literally just turn the legs over, just really quickly, get yourself moving bit of blood flow, bit of that pumping action. Um, any activity is gonna do it and ideally really low intensity, same same muscle groups is gonna be ideal. Um, so that's our skeletal muscle pump. Muscles pushing on the blood vessels, blood comes back up at the heart, great. It starts accelerating the recovery process. How else can we achieve this? Because it's not, not always practical just to stay on the bike or, or continue to run. You might be completely exhausted at the end of a session or at the end of a race, probably the last thing you wanna do is just continue to, you, get back on the bike or go for a run or a slow jog or a walk. Um, you may just want to sit down for a bit. Now you can sit down, but the key to it is you need to sit in an inverted position. So if you can sit down and put your legs up a wall or legs up on a step, a chair, etc., what that does is helps use gravity to your advantage. Because if we're sitting up like so, gravity's pushing down on top of, top of my head, right? 
Blood has to travel from my feet. If I've just been on the bike, blood just has to travel from my feet back up to the heart. That's working against gravity, it's opposites. Yeah? Not ideal, because gravity's gonna keep pushing it down. Blood's slowly gonna come back up, but it's gonna take quite a while. We get what's what's called venous pooling. It's the same thing you experience when you're on a plane or a, or a, or a car for, in a car for a long period of time. You start to get that swelling sort of sensation in your feet and in your legs. It's because you're sitting down a lot, it's very difficult for blood to come back up to the heart against gravity by itself without that assistance. So that's why turning the legs over is a good option because we get that pumping effect. It helps pump that blood back up against gravity a little bit more effectively. But we can do, we can get that same blood transfer or blood circulation back up to the heart if we sit down and put our feet up. Because now what we're doing, if we turn upside down, blood's coming back towards the heart, but it's moving down, downwards with gravity. Gravity's assisting that blood to come back towards us. So it can be useful. Downside is though, is it's more difficult to then pump blood out to the area back against gravity. So blood coming from the heart to the muscles to send oxygen there and the nutrients that we're talking about before. Because we're in that inverted position, the heart has to work a little bit harder to get it up there. And you might start to feel if you've got your legs up, up a wall or something for sort of four or five minutes, you start to feel a little bit of that tingly sensation and sort of a lot of blood flow lost from your legs. And then when you stand up, you feel like it almost rushes because it's difficult to get blood flow there. So we're sort of losing out on the opposite side of things. Yes, we're getting blood back up to the heart. We can help start clear out some of the, the, the stuff sitting in the veins, etc. some of that byproduct. But it's a bit of a struggle to get blood to that area in the first place. So it is a bit of a trade-off, if you like, by doing that. But if you do sort of a couple of minutes with your legs up the wall, then you have to do two, three minutes, stand up, walk around for a bit, sit back down, legs up a wall again, stand up, walk around for a bit. That can be good to just sort of basically shake you upside down and back again um, and start to transfer a bit of blood flow up and down the body and help to clear things out. Again, accelerating the process. So that's that's one way you can do it. The other way is obviously using utilizing a technology like the recovery boots. So putting the boots on, what they essentially do is if you've ever had your blood pressure taken before, very similar process. Um, the blood pressure cuff essentially is in the, in the boots, it's just extended all the way up your leg. You can set them to different settings and based on the, the brand that you've got, they're gonna have different um, user, usable features, etc., and, and how you can manipulate the pressures. The ones that we've got are very, very simple in how they work. You put the boots on, you turn the machine on, you start it, and it basically just inflates the cuff around you. So what that does is builds pressure on the inside, it starts to push into your leg. We have it, uh, we, I commonly use it set up on, uh, on a setting where it builds pressure on my ankle first, so the furthest part away from the body, it sustains that pressure. So it almost, it sort of blows up like a balloon, sustains pressure around my ankle, then it starts to inflate around my calf, my knee, my quad, all while maintaining pressure in everywhere else, and then it all releases. So we're getting that, coming back to that toothpaste example I used before, we're getting that squeezing the tube of toothpaste up, 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 then we release everything and start again. So it's constantly trying to draw blood back up to the heart. Again, downside is, I mean, in terms of actually turning the legs over, you're probably not gonna have uh, your heart rate elevated for as long as uh, you would if you were continuing to cycle or that ventilation aspect because you are sitting there isn't much demand for you to be able to take in option and use it to create work because you're stationary but the bonus is you're still getting that good pumping effect and you're getting that assistance against gravity without having to be in an inverted position um, i guess from a practicality standpoint obviously you do need a, a powerpoint so you can't just go out in the middle of uh, at the end of a race and just set these up anywhere. Um, you do need to be hooked up to power. And again, the downside of it is I've always found that these are most effective when you can get in them pretty much straight away after a session, jump off the bike or, or come in for a run, have a quick shower and then get straight to the boots. And while you're in the boots, you then get a bit of nutrition, hydration in and accelerate recovery that way as well. So 
really all of these different different methods doing an active recovery or cool down physically chucking legs up a wall or using something like the recovery boots are all doing the same thing and it all revolves around that skeletal muscle pump critical part of the process in terms of accelerating that recovery and an example of when this has happened and, and we do a few we do a few school presentations um throughout throughout victoria in terms of talking about vo2 max and and um metabolic byproducts etc and what what I actually had was a really interesting situation not to about sort of six months ago, uh, where we had two students who'd done the same footy training the night before, and then they came in to do a VO2 max test the next day as part of their part of their school presentation that we were doing. We measured their blood lactate samples. Really interesting is one student hard footy training session went home, just sat on the couch, did nothing, came to school the next day. Lactate levels are at about six millimoles pre-test. Typical resting is anywhere between one and two. So again, a lot of factors are determining how quickly someone can recover. But in this case, we have we have an athlete who's potentially could work on the aerobic side of things, a bit more of an anaerobic-based athlete in terms of their position in that for, for footy. But um, how critical that reco initial recovery process is, didn't do much of an active recovery, didn't do much in terms of engaging the skeletal muscle pump to get the blood going, clearing out some of those metabolic byproducts in those early stages. And you can see it just sat residual in his blood for quite a long time. Um, the fitter you are, obviously, the more aerobically uh, inclined you are or the aerobically fit you are. Regardless of what you do, it's going to accelerate that process a bit, but you can see how in the average person, it can take quite a while. The second student who came in, the second athlete, if you want to, if you want to call that, did the same training session, but did the did the test, pre-test, lactate was at two and a half millimoles, so a bit close to that typical resting of one to two. And you can see what they did after the test, or, or sorry, after after their training session, before they, did, uh, before they did the test the next day, was they just went and was like walking around the oval, kicking a few goals. So... In that regard, same activities and same muscle groups, just a reduced intensity, um, active recovery. It, it's the exact same thing as what we talk about with triathlon, swimming, cycling, rowing, etc. Um, I just thought that was a really good example because it, it was quite clear the difference in in, in, a in an athlete or a student who did a passive recovery the night before after a hard training session versus an active recovery the night before. Even as late as the next day when we came and re or we came and tested them and tested their blood lactate, without knowing what their blood lactate was post session. It was pretty clear that it was it was quite elevated based on the fact that one of these one of these participants had a reading of six six millimoles and the other one was like two and a half. Um, the only difference between them in terms of they did the same training, the only difference was how they recovered. One did active, much lower lactate rate the next day, was a lot fresher, actually did better in the test. The other one who did passive recovery and didn't really do a lot, just went home, sat sat in front of the TV, then went to bed. High lactate reading actually struggled a bit in those early stages to get going and impacted his test at the end of the day. So when we're thinking about backing up training sessions, a bit of a consideration there. So I think I'll leave it there for today. Uh, if you have any more questions about active recovery or skeletal muscle pump, uh, let us know. And if you want some ideas around how you can manipulate some of these recovery strategies, um, or if you want some more information on what the boots do and, and the different technologies you might be able to use, um, definitely, definitely get in contact with us but definitely a critical part of the uh, recovery process to accelerating or speeding up that initial stages can be critical even as, even as late as sort of 24 hours, even 48 hours later. Uh, it's also why we sort of recommend our athletes when they come in for testing, try and avoid some, some heavy activity um, or, or high intensity, difficult training 48 hours prior to testing because the effects can still sort of be catching up with you, um, particularly if you get that initial stage recovery wrong and you're not making the, making the most of, of how you can clear out some of that metabolic fatigue. Um, in that initial period post-session. Post 
So thanks for watching another episode of the Physiology Secrets podcast. I uh, hope you've been enjoying it so far. If you do have any questions that you want answered on the podcast, please get in touch with us. Uh, join our free Facebook group, the Mets Mastermind. Uh, we've got over a thousand athletes and coaches and experts in that group. Uh, it's a really good group. We're trying to boost a bit of engagement in there. So if you do have any questions, please let us know. Otherwise, we'll see you in the next episode.